Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Special guest, David Allen. Good morning. Now, Jerry said that he was part of the C team. That means I'm part of the D team. Well, my first name begins with a D, so, you know. Uh, I chose not to use the A part, though. Um, I count it a real privilege to be able to bring the message to you this morning. I realize that if I'm here in my own strength, you all better leave. I trust that I'm yielded to what God would have me to say this morning. The topic is not something new to me because this will be the third time it's been preached at this church. <clears throat> you say, well, why would we hear it again? Well, first of all, it's been at least two years because it was in April of 2006. Secondly, it's a topic that is very timely to the day and time in which we are living. And it's something I need to hear often, so I suspect it's beneficial to all of us to hear it again. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. We'll start at verse 2, read the text of the morning, and then we'll pray. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord, always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it is good of you to share in my troubles. 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather corporately as a body of uh, believers to uh, praise your name as we've already done in song and glorify you, to praise you and through offering, to praise you and remember the tremendous sacrifice that you provided to us that know Christ as Savior and that you sent your Son to die, purpose, purposely coming to die, to pay the debt for our sins, rise victorious over the grave and over sin, Father, that through faith in him we could have eternal life. How we thank you and praise you for that. We trust, Father, too, that you will be praised as we open this, uh, your word and look at it more deeply uh, and that we will see truths that we can apply and be reminded of the truths we have heard in the past and that your spirit would apply it to our lives that we would glorify you as we walk moment by moment, day by day. But Father, I know that nothing worthwhile will be said today unless it is by the power of your Spirit. It's by your Spirit, and you're not, and not mine, Father, that anything worthwhile be accomplished. You must increase, I must decrease at this moment, Father, that you may be glorified. Father, if there's any here this morning that know not Christ as Savior, I pray that uh, before they leave this place, they will give their hearts to him and will rejoice in seeing that happen and praise your name for it will be all of you that this took place. Thank you for hearing our prayers. I pray too, Father, to be with Galen as he has had to head home with his back acting up, Father, lower back. He's had serious back problems and pray a special measure of your grace for him. It makes me think of Joe also with his back problem and difficulties he's having and for Stu. And just pray that your grace be poured out upon them and upon all of our numbers that the need to uh, have your, your healing hand upon them, Father. Give them grace to endure in the process. Grow them closer to Christ. Give them a testimony of how they trust you. Be with our pastor as he's helping Greg with the conference and with faith as she is helping Sarah with the grandkids. Just pray your blessing upon them. Bring them back to us soon. In Christ's name, amen. Now, this doesn't seem like much of a Palm Sunday message. And I don't want to do a stretch that's not there. But I'd like to make a suggestion. We read from uh, Luke 19, and I thank Jerry for doing that for me. And the reason I wanted that read is I, I did not want that ignored this morning. An important event. 
Uh, but when you think about it, there are all these crowds of people that are praising and rejoicing that the Christ has come, that he's entering the city, and they're, they're putting down palms, and they're really saying that he's king, and they're honoring him for who he truly is. However, four days later, where were they? Where were they? Now, I'd have been right with them, and so would you, even if you think otherwise. But where were they? You see, they had confusion about Christ's purpose. And they were a people that were very, very discontent. Unhappy. Unhappy with the government and their state of life. They did not like the Romans being in control of them. And they thought Jesus meant immediate, at that moment, relief from what they were experiencing. And when that didn't take place, they went back to being discontent. But they needed to go back to be discontent, for if they had not Christ's purpose, theoretically, might not have been fulfilled. Now, we know it would have been, but you understand where I'm coming from, earthly terms. Okay? So discontentment. Now, I think I'm not wrong when I say perhaps in this country today there's a tad bit of discontentment. Do you think? Perhaps even in my life, perhaps even in your own life. What's happening in our country morally, financially, leadership-wise, and I'm not meaning that for any particular individual, I mean as a whole, People are not happy. We're having tea parties all over the country. People are saying, where is my next job coming from? Where is my next house payment coming from? Discontent. Looking in all kinds of places to remedy the discontent. Hearing all kinds of answers to how we can be content. The one I haven't heard yet is, is the one that says that, that let's humble ourselves and pray. I think that'd be a huge answer to resolving discontent. We're a proud country. We need to do some humbling, take an honest look at ourselves. Well, in the uh, Scripture today, in Philippians, we have a situation of discontent. Just look at verse 2. I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with you, Syntesi, or Syntechi, however you want to say it, to agree with each other in the Lord. And he goes on in the next verse to say, whatever's going on, they needed help. If there's a disagreement, I'll guarantee you behind it is discontentment. And I think backing me up that discontentment is a part of this, if you look down at verse 11, Paul begins to address the fact, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content. The opposite of what's happening in verse 2. Paul is pointing out a very serious issue that 
has become a problematic issue in the body of believers. And that is brothers and sisters fighting with each other. And what he's saying here is, as he looks at this problem, he says, to agree with each other in the Lord. I hear him saying loud and clear, this is not unity. You need to be unified. He's calling for unification within the body. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he had occasion to be aware of it if he wasn't thinking back to Christ's high priestly prayer where he even prayed for unity. Look with me at John chapter 17. And if, you, if you've heard me preach before, well, yes, we will go to a lot of Scripture. John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, not for his disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This prayer is not just for disciples back then. It is for you and I if we know Christ as our Savior. Okay? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity, extremely important. Contentment comes. One of the things that helps us with contentment is to be unified. If we're, if we're doing as Christ would have us do, we're going to seek to be unified. We're going to have a love for one another. Isn't that how Christ said that people would know we're his followers? If we have love for one another, unity. In addition, if you're in a situation of discontentment, it may be that someone that's mature in the Word should be coming alongside you and encouraging you if they're aware of your discontentment. Verse 3, Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. No question, we're talking believers here. This letter is written to believers. People's names are written in the book of life. And we're being told here, listen, mature Christian brothers and sisters, you come alongside of these two and you help them with this discontentment. We need, in the midst of discontentment, to be willing to accept help from those that are mature in the Lord. You say, but that's my personal problem. It's nobody else's business. Well, Cain, when he was addressed by the Lord in regard to Abel, said the very profound words, am I my brother's keeper? And I would suggest to you from the beginning of the Word of God to the end of this book called the Bible, it's screams we are our brother's keeper. It screams that we have a responsibility. And if you look with me at Galatians chapter 6, you'll see it very definitively. Galatians chapter 6. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Gently. 
But watch yourself, or you may also be, may be tempted. A call for brothers to restore. Believe me, discontentment and fighting is a sin. Really, it is. We may want to accept it. For those of us who have been studying acceptable sins, we probably just go along and don't really have that register. But it is a sin. And we should help restore. And when we're helping to restore, let's be careful that we're not looking down our nose at those that we're restoring. But remember that we are sinners saved by grace. So the second thing I see here that helps us to, uh, to, to uh, be able to overcome discontentment is, one, to remember to be unified. Two, to accept help from the mature in Christ. Verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Joy in the Lord. I want to tell you, if you're concerned and consumed by something that's going on in your life that we would label negative, and it, it's really impacting and it's bothering you, and I don't want to diminish those, and I know they can happen. We get caught unaware, and, and we have difficulties. But if you would turn to Psalms, if I would turn to the Psalms and begin to read, especially those that praise the Lord, your heart begins to joy in the Lord. I will guarantee you, you cannot stay depressed. You cannot stay in your discontentedness if you're looking and rejoicing in the Lord, looking at His Word. Joy in the Lord. Think about what a salvation He has given us. We were all blind, stumbling about, no idea that we were even sinners. And the Lord opened our eyes to see our sinfulness, that we're lawbreakers. And he wonderfully opened our hearts to see the only remedy for our sin is the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sins. What a wonderful, blessed gift. God called us. He called me. He called you if you believe in him. That's occasion for joy. I think perhaps one of the reasons I don't joy enough, I'll suggest that you don't joy enough, is we don't visit our salvation often enough and rejoice in it. We become a little too ho-hum about it. Well, be unified. Accept help from mature in Christ. Don't resist that. Matter of fact, I, let me say a little bit more about that. Find an accountability partner. That's scriptural. And it'll be a great help to you. You can even agree in the midst of finding that partner that, hey, I want your input, but agree that perhaps if I ask for your input, give it. If I don't, I'm not looking for your input. You know, They may overcome you anyhow and do it anyhow, but... but it's a wonderful thing. And I, 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 I don't want to lengthen the sermon too long. I could go into a story about uh, something that Dr. Stanley taught. But the bottom line is a fellow intervening in another person's life who would have committed adultery if he hadn't called the person on the phone and said, I'm coming over and I'm spending the night with you. And he knew the girl was there and she had to leave. 
That's the accountability partner I want and that can be beneficial to you. Someone that is willing to put friendship on the line and say like it is. Okay. Verse 5. I am at the right verse. Okay. In addition to rejoicing in the Lord, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Of course, that gentleness, if you will go to Galatians, which you will look at briefly a little bit later, 5, you'll find that's a fruit of the Spirit. And that's a product that, as we talk a little bit later, only comes, I'm telling you, from a closeness to the Lord. But let your gentleness, instead of fighting, let's, let's let the gentleness be out. You want a witness? Let's not have the public see the fight. Let's have them see our gentleness and our love for each other. But remember this. If you expect to overcome discontentedness, then you've got to remember that God is near. God is omnipresent, folks. He's not off like society would have us believe somewhere that he, else and he put everything in motion and everything's happening just the way it's going to happen. Oh, he's in complete control and he is near. He misses nothing. Psalm 139, let's turn there. If you would with me. Psalm 139. Listen to as David states that you can't get away from God. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You have me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will be shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, Wow, and go, you can go on and on. Is there any place that isn't covered in that psalm that you and I could go that God would not be? Nowhere. He sees it all. We can't hide from him. If we would practice the presence of Christ, I believe we would have less discontentedness. Now, I stand here and I talk like I have arrived. My wife's sitting back there, and she'll tell you that's not true. But nevertheless, these are truths, and they will help us to be less discontented. The next two verses are two of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Troubled? Give it to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Oh, it's too small, you think? Well, if you're that troubled, I sort of doubt it. Give it to Jesus. You say, I've tried that, but I still do it? Well, keep doing it. Keep giving it to Jesus. He says, be anxious for nothing. That's all, that covers it all, does it not? Is there anything missed? I don't think so. He cares about it all. And he cares intimately. And he, want to take that, he wants to take that concern. And he wants to supplant the concern and the worry and the depression with his love and his peace that passes all understanding. And believe me, I know from experience he can do that. He's done that for me. He's done that for you. But like the Israel, people of Israel, we're kind of forgetful. And we'll begin to worry again about the next thing. And he just says, give it to me. Take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy, my yoke is light, he says. Yes. Give your concerns to him. My, oh my. He accomplished it all for us. He was involved in all creation, right? If you read your word, he was. There's that Hubble telescope in my mind again. And all that we can see through it, and all that was done there was God spoke and it happened. That's powerful. Some of you might have real powerful equipment you work with or whatever. Nothing. H-bomb goes off. You think you've seen what it can do? That's here compared to the power of God. If he can create, if he's all-powerful, then there's no one, nothing greater than he. He can handle our concerns and our cares. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Call to think rightly. When we begin to examine and look for right in the world in which we live, that's hard to find, is it not? There is a, some samples of right in our world, but it's hard to find. Where do we find things that are lovely and beautiful and right? Where do you think Paul might be between the lines referencing? For me, it's the Word of God. It's perfect. 
It's pure. It's right. It encourages. It lifts up. Think rightly. Spend time in God's word. Psalm 119.10 says, It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We, there's not much we're going to see if we pick this up once a week, once a month, once a year. It's kind of hard to be strengthened if we pull the plug on the source of our strength. And that's what we do when we don't pick up God's Word. We pull the plug on the source of our strength. Coupled with that is what we've already talked about, the need to pray. Extremely important, the need to pray. So think rightly. Joshua 1.8 says, if we don't let the, the book of the law depart from our mouth, we're going to be prosperous and we're going to have success. And success to me, it's huge when we have victory over discontentedness. Verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I think another key to uh, overcoming discontent is that we would focus our attention on the example of spiritual giants in the Lord. I choose to focus more so on those, although you can do that with those living today, those I find in God's Word. And Paul would be one of them. Wow. If anyone had a reason to throw in a towel, Paul did. Goes in and preaches the truth of the Word of God, ends up getting whipped. He's going on a mission for God to Rome, and he ends up in a shipwreck, gets bit by a snake. I mean, this guy's had it, man. He's been beaten around, downtrodden. And I have yet to find him complaining. Uh, this letter, it's very clear that he's, he's content. When he was in the Philippian jail, what was he doing? There's a man in jail for doing good, all right? I have trouble for getting a ticket for speeding. He's in jail for doing good. Singing and praising the Lord. Being willing to accept the circumstances that are before him. You see, there is not a single thing, no matter how horrendous, that happens in the life of a believer that does not either come by God's direct or his permissive will. If you doubt that, check Job chapter 1. There's no doubt about it. And the hardest thing to do is to be content when it happens. But if we begin to apply the thoughts of these principles here and understand that God loves us and has purpose, according to Romans 8, behind what's happening to us, we can deal with it. He will give us the strength to deal with it. Verse 10. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Verse 10. 
I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. Over to verse 14, yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again and I, when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you send. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He's thankful for their gifts. Thankful for what he has given to them, he has received from them. Realizing that it was through them that God has provided for him. And we too need to be thankful for what others do. And that could be part of what we do when we're doing that praying about being anxious for nothing. You know, sometimes prayers are not answered quickly because our hearts are not thankful. God blesses us over and over abundantly. We need to respond with thankful hearts, grateful hearts. Sometimes, even in the midst of that prayer, we could be thanking God for answering it before we receive the answer. Thankful this is a key, an important thing. And the blessing accrues to, to the, not only to the recipient, but to the giver who gives with a right heart. Not to be seen, but for God's glory. Okay, well, we've skipped some verses. Let's go back to verse 11. He says, in regard to contentment, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have, have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Who is him? He's down like my grandson. He whispers too. <laughs> Christ. Christ, yes. A number of you said that. Realize that in the midst of discontentedness, the truth of God's word is we can rely on Jesus no matter what. No matter what. I know that it can be difficult when the time seems to go on and on and on. But if he's not what, he sa what the word says he is, then we're all in big trouble. And I want you to, we've been memorizing or just memorized Hebrews 13.8, but I want you to go with me to Hebrews in that same chapter. And I want you to see something here. I want you to look at verse 5, uh, the latter part of verse 5, where it says, Be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, 
Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That was our memory verse. Within the context of saying, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I hear him saying, and I never change my mind because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So hang in there. God is near and he cares. Philippians 1 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That does not say, okay, I'm going to stop when the tough bump comes. It's all over. It says until completion. Till the realization, till we are with Christ, he'll see us through. He sees us through death. Psalm 116 tells us that. Superintendent, just like Stephen. Superintendent, Christ stood up to receive Stephen. Even through that dark passage that all of us that are living don't fully comprehend, save from the pages of Scripture, he sees us right through there. I, just, I almost believe he takes our hand. Confidence. Christ can be trusted no matter what. For if he cannot be trusted, he cannot save us. If this word is not true, as Paul said in Corinthians, we are wasting our time. As a matter of fact, Pastor thinks he could beat me to that door, but he could not if this wasn't true. But it is true, and he can be trusted. If we go on down to verse 19, I need to give some qualification with this verse before I give what I believe is the application, an application. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God will supply your need, not my greed, not your greed. That's what that says. Now, that is said within the context of showing his thankfulness to the people of Philippi for their gifts. That's the immediate context. But I will guarantee you, I believe behind that, that is a truth that applies to you and I because that is the God of this Bible. A God that meets needs. And so, believe me, he will supply. Maybe not as you think. When my dad died, my mother had eh, maybe $400 a month coming in. 
And her drugs were more than that. And I thought, whoa, how are you going to do that? I have to watch because I could get emotional. I'm already trying to work on it, but you know me. Every, anyone that knows me, just get used to it. Uh, but she had just a little over $400. And she, she didn't know how she was going to make it. And I said to her, I said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but God has promised to meet all of your needs. I said, I don't know what form that might take. I don't know if you're going to have, she lived in Texas, I lived here. I didn't know if you're going to have to move or what that means, but God will supply. She never had to move, and she never had want. And I, all the generosity of people to her, including family, and she never wanted. Then we'll stop with that story, but say he will supply. So what's behind all these things that I'm saying that will help you to live contentedly? Well, what it says right there on your outline. It says, see what underlies the principle of how Paul could live contentedly, how you and I can live contentedly, it's about our relationship to Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John. John chapter 15. This great verse. This is one of my favorites too. I have a bunch of them. Verse 1. These, this section is so precious. I am the vine, true vine, and you and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that, that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Vine and branches. Verse 1, Jesus is the vine. Verse 5, believers are the branches. No fruit apart from Christ. I'll guarantee you to live contentedly, you have to have the fruit of the Spirit or you're not going to do it. If we live close to Jesus, fruit is produced without effort. Now just bear with me here a minute. But I want to tell you, it's true. It's a, you're not going to bear any fruit of worthy note apart from living close to Christ. I will guarantee you that. There might be samples of it. Christ be must become our all in all to live consistently for him. It is not self-effort. It is being so close to Jesus that the fruit comes naturally. All right. Now, who wants to question me? Because you should. 
Well, doesn't Paul say in, this, in Ephesians to put off and put on? That calls for action. Absolutely. There is a call for action. But I want to tell you, if the action is in your power, it will not produce fruit. The action has to be in the power of the Holy Spirit to produce fruit. And it comes from spending time. I'm going back to the former church. I remember a missionary candidate preaching on this subject. And I thought, did a terrific job of helping me understand my continuous failure to produce fruit. How can I not produce fruit? I love the Lord. You do? Well, how often do you speak with Him? How often do you read about Him? Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. We have to die to self. Galatians 2.20. Let's turn there. These little books do hide. This is a terrific verse. I call this your funeral verse if you're a believer in Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to die to self. That's what really getting close to Christ results in. Die to self. He has the preeminence. Then watch him work. Watch him work. Consider Paul again, his pursuit of Christ in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Paul had already given all these things that he was in the past and his worldly success. And he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the suppressing greatness and knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ be found to him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. I don't think I have to even make a comment. Wow. That's the relationship I should covet and you should covet with the Lord. Now that's fine in the branches. My tree's mad at me. But I, I decided that this didn't need to be where it was anyhow. Because it wasn't where it should be, Okay. But anyhow, this is off a beautiful dogwood tree. And it is a gorgeous one, okay? Now, 
these flowers that are would have bloomed, I can lay them right here. And they can scream and they can holler and they can do whatever they want. Do you think apart from any other interference, these are going to bloom? Why not? What? They're not attached to the vine. Impossible. Same for me, the same for you. If it didn't need trimmed where it was, I probably wouldn't cut them, but I think object lessons help. I think you get the idea. You say, all right, I hear you, Dave. Well, also, and we're not going to go there, but Galatians 5, 22 to 25. Well, let's go there. What's, what's a few minutes? Talks about fruit bearing. Okay. My wife's give me this. Let's look at these. And tell me if, they, if these aren't necessary, really, to be contented. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. A call to be contented if I ever heard one. And these fruits come from the close relationship to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've prayed to be contented. I try to give it to the Lord. What the world do I do? I keep, it doesn't work. I'm just going to give up. There's no point in going any further with it. Why try? I must not be much of a Christian. I'm just not going to do anything for the Lord. Well, look here at uh, part three, dealing with failure to live contentedly and how to deal with them so we live consistently. And look at uh, Philippians 3, starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have been taken hold of, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straightening toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. You failed. I failed. Confess it and forget it. Don't hold on to it. Confess it and forget it. Get up. Start over again. Join me in riding your spiritual bike. That's what it is. Any of us that have learned to ride a bicycle, 
I will guarantee you, you fell when you first tried to learn. If you didn't, come talk to me. I want to know how you did that. How did you learn not to fall? Readily. You did it again. And again, and again, and again. And that's exactly how we won the victory. When we fail, and we fall back in depression and being discontented and not living as God would have us live. Remember, it's all about looking to Jesus and our relationship with Him. In conclusion, Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, speaking of that deep-seated relationship, if you have slipped away from that, begin today to go back to living close to Him. Learn from the example of Paul. Learn from the examples uh, of the life of David. If you want to look at some scriptures uh, that I did pass by, Psalm 55, 22 and 23b, Psalm 56, 3 and 4 and 9 to 11, Psalm 62 and Psalm 63. You'll find in that 55 and 56, things weren't going well for David. But he shouts in there that he was trusting the Lord in both of those, and in 62. And it shows his hunger and thirst for God in 63, and also in 62. Learn. Live close. If you're here today and you have never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you could struggle to apply these principles, but they won't work. They won't work. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior from your sins, what sins, you might say? God has given his law. If we just look at the Ten Commandments, we will not have to look long to discover that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God commendeth his love toward us. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Your only hope is Christ. Not popular in this world. Scriptures give no other evidence. Christ and Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is none other name under heaven given among men by where you must be saved. Come to him today. Accept him as your Savior. And if you do that, experience the joy of being a child of God. Now, no mistakes here. Everything won't be a bed of roses. That's not why we come to Christ.
we come to Christ because we're sinners. But there are going to be problems. Paul even alluded to that in the scriptures that I read to you. That he had difficulties and he didn't have money sometimes. He was hungry. But God will supply the greatest need of your life and that will be salvation through Jesus Christ. The rest is gravy. I like gravy. That's why I use that phrase. <laughs> Maybe it's too slangy, but the rest is gravy. Part of the gravy is new grandchildren. But, uh, but uh, praise the Lord. <laughs>